And we're back with the Brother Side Podcast, episode 23. We have Victoria Kurloff of Wealth Analytics and Divorce Analytics. Welcome, Victoria. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for coming. Thanks for coming. Today, we start off our show talking about the drink of choice. We got beverages from T-Smith. T-Smith. What's the connection with T-Smith? Oh, I just love the tea smith. I think a lot of the world's problems can be solved with a good cup of tea. Really? Do you drink coffee? A little bit, but um, I find that green tea, the molecular difference between how caffeine is delivered between green tea and uh, just black tea and coffee is a little different. There's actually a molecule that uh, creates a little bit more of a calming effect so you don't get the jitters as you do with coffee. So Mm. this is, I've never heard that before. I, we are both big time coffee drinkers. So yeah, hardcore. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love coffee, but. I've never, I've never got into tea. Yeah, he's point. like, we're drinking tea. I'm like, hey, <laughs> yeah. you got to try it sometime. Yeah, that's not bad. <laughs> the first drink, I was like, hmm, I'm not sure, but I'm actually kind of getting, getting into it. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, I like it's tea good. with honey. Yeah, mm-hmm. you ever do that? Sweeten it up a little bit? No, because I'd never have tea, but maybe in the future. Yeah, there you go. Aaron drinks tea. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, looking at your background, uh, sounds like you got into finances as a young kid early. Can you elaborate on that and why that was pushed upon you as a young kid? Yeah. So really, um, I am my dad's biggest fan, and he is the main reason why I um, have had such a fulfilling and um, rich life. Um, But a lot of that was my dad is a little older than my mom. Well, let's just call it as it is. He's significantly (laughs) older than her. (laughs) And um, he was just wanting to make sure that the family was taken care of uh, when he died. And he would always say, kid, you know, my dad's Russian, so very straight shooter. Uh He would say, kid, I'm going to die, and you're going to have to take care of all of this. So I figured with the name Kurilov, I'm like, that sounds probably Russian. Yeah. Eastern Bloc. (laughs) Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. Um, yeah, so, go ahead. Well, so um, I have my first memory of being an investor meeting when I was three. Um, they, Whoa. I mean, yeah, my dad's whole objective was to train me very early on and to groom me to take over not only the finances, but uh, his role as an, um, you know, a CEO of an engineering and manufacturing firm. So um, the more exposure, especially earlier on, uh, the better off you are in life, especially sure. with complex situations. So, um, he just kind of shoved me into the role of being the financial translator between our financial advisor and my mom. And my mom is an intelligent woman, but by no means can she carry, you know, water in a financial conversation. And let's sure. be honest, most people can. No, no. And, yeah. it's a that's, complex yeah. world. That's yeah. what it is. Heck, most financial advisors can't. Yeah. <laughs> right. right. Well, and so that that leads to uh, a lot of big terms being used and concepts being thrown around that uh, both sides of the table don't really understand. So, and the end result is the client ends up with a poor financial plan. So, uh, which is actually what happened to us. So um, 
early on, it was all about you know learning as much as I can and uh, really understanding what our advisor was telling my parents um, and then helping my mom grasp those concepts and talking in terms that she understands. And sure. Um, but then it kind of moved on to my dad wanted me to start problem solving and researching out different things to, to fill our financial needs. So uh, he was interested in long-term care. Okay. Um, being 15 years older than my mom, he was really wanting to make sure that not only he was taken care of, but she as well. So, uh, gosh, I think I was like 10 years old and I went on to AOL and I researched <laughs> out AOL. the, yeah, AOL, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's, no. it's a very obnoxious sound. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Go well, ahead. Yeah. And it was a dial up connection too. I yeah. mean, really dating myself, but, um, I researched out the top three carriers. I produced a report, um, presented it to our financial advisor. Jeez. This is at what age? 10. 10. Holy cow. Yeah. She's far exceeding our, our, yeah. our lives. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, this started with a horse, to be honest with you. So the report writing <laughs> is tied. Like, I, there's a huge benefit to myself uh, when I was younger. My dad was like, hey, you're interested in a horse? Well, let's figure out the life cycle cost of a horse. Um, the horse is the cheapest part of the equation. Oh, yeah. And so it's the upkeep. You know, they need shoes. They need their teeth floated. Oh, guess what? You want a saddle and you want pretty jeans to go along with that for your show. Um, so he wanted to make sure that we knew what we were getting into before uh, I got my horse. So what, what is the number for the horse that the magical number? Cause my wife, she's talked about getting a horse at some point and you're right. The horse is the cheapest part. Mm-hmm. Is there a magic number where it's like the lifetime of a horse costs you 75 grand or something? Oh no. It's more. Oh, it can, it can really vary. Um, does your horse, like, are you, how do you use your horse? Yeah, I suppose if you're racing it and mm-hmm. if it's just a horse in a stable at my house and we just casually ride it. When did you get a stable? Well, <laughs> yeah. it, we're working You've on changed. It. We're working on it. I don't know you, you as well as I thought. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> but no, if you had a, just like a horse casually at your house, what do you think that would run over the... Well, you have to provide it hay, grain, uh, veterinary bills. If your horse goes through a fence, well, that's going to cost money. Sure. Um, they also are like mobile creatures, so their wounds don't heal normally. Um, you know, they can get proud flesh, all sorts of things. So it's not as straightforward as owning a dog that you right. can kind of control their space. Um, mm-hmm. Horses are prey animals, so the moment they get a little flighty, well, You've also increased their, well, their anxiety has increased, which might cause an additional cost if, you know, they have something occur while in that agitated state. So you can really um, rack up the expenses quickly. So the other question I would have is what do you plan on doing with the horse? That's a good question. I'm just trying to build this up for my wife when she listens as to why we shouldn't get a horse. Yeah, just all point. the reasons. Yeah. yeah, he's you're you're building the you're building the argument. Case. Yeah. Oh gosh, yes. I'm not going to tell you anymore. Yeah. That. Yeah. I think she should get a horse. Maybe two. Two horses. Yeah. Well, yeah so let's. So back to the. Well, yeah. I kind of went off on a tangent there, but as a ten year old, you're learning, you know, finances mm-hmm. and helping your dad. So let's kind of dive back into that. Yeah, so um, he wanted long-term care. He thought it was the smart thing to do. Uh, So I produced the report. I sat down with our advisor, and um, I don't want to say he laughed me out of the room, uh, but it was quite obvious that he was not interested in what I had to say and what the report had to say. Um, 
he said, you guys have enough money, you can self-insure, and my parents are very well off, but by no means do they have enough money to uh, self-insure, I, sure, I right. later realized. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we, we actually went with his expert advice, because what do we know at the end of the day? Yeah. Yeah. Um, thinking that this gentleman, and you know, he had accreditations out, you know, just piled on top of one another. And well, you know, we thought he actually was looking out for our best interest mm -hmm. as a fiduciary, sure, which he had that responsibility. Well, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> I later realized that he wasn't interested in us getting a long-term care policy because it would have meant money out of his his investment account. And now keep in mind, his investment account is my parents' fricking money. Right. right. Oh, yeah. 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 And this is actually a common problem in the industry where you have advisors um, that do not want to give a holistic analysis because they're not licensed. And there's a um, quite honestly a big divide between financial advisors and insurance agents. Um, it's ridiculous because at the end of the day, they are there to serve the client. Right. It is the client's needs that should be number one. And if you don't make a commission on it, yeah. who cares? Yeah. It's you all know? about the commission. You yeah. Got, it's hard to find the right person. It certainly is. And um, we thought we had we thought we had a great guy because, uh, you know, we didn't know any better. Right. And, uh, you know, fast forward, though, to 2012. My dad had a stroke on an operating table when he went to get heart surgery. And um, this was at the pinnacle of our professional adventure together. Um, you know, he was the CEO of Victor Engineering, doing some stuff for Mosbon Manufacturing as well. I was a COO. Um, we were, you know, in the middle of a prototyping project. And it was absolutely devastating. Um, not only was I having to um, essentially pull everything together, but my dad was uh, in a medical-induced coma for an entire month. Oh, wow. And I actually told him, um, Daddy, if you need to die and if you need to move on, you can. Like, I want you to be be okay. And, um, you know, wow. this is, you know, he, he's just given me so much. I didn't want him to hold on um, for me. And so I actually told him, uh, told him you could die, and then the next morning he woke up. Wow. Really? Yeah. Wow. Um, Gives me goosebumps. Yeah. 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 No kidding. Yeah. And, That's... well, I mean, it's, uh, I, I absolutely love my father because he's so resilient and he has given that gift to me. Yeah. Um, but I was sitting there in the, in the hallway as he was, you know, in this position and I kept thinking about that conversation we had with our advisor and how we thought we had protection, you know. Yeah. And, Gosh, we sure as hell didn't. Really? It, I mean, we have health insurance, yeah, and that it was great because it covered a lot. Um, and he also was older, so he uh, had some benefits from the government. But for a lot of his, um, you know, intensive rehabilitative care, it was on us. It was <laughs> substantial amounts of money each month. Sure. And uh, not only did he, he, he had to learn everything, you know, how to walk again, how to eat. Um, it was just a completely debilitating stroke, and my dad is the smartest man in any room he walks into. He's a Russian nuclear engineer with a master's in heat transfer. Ooh. So that's quite the title. Yeah, yeah. I like yeah. that. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, we make great fireworks, by yeah, the way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <So> that. <laughs> yeah, but so, yeah. but to see him reduced to this state, it was absolutely heartbreaking. 
Um, and so here I am trying to deal with the emotional fallout of this horrible life event. But then I also am aware of the dollars that are associated with this. And then I'm also aware that my mom is 15 years younger than him. Right. So she has different retirement needs than he does. Yeah, so, absolutely. I mean, in my brain, I'm just calculating all these costs and figuring out like, okay, what are, what are we gonna do? And uh, thankfully they have enough resources that you know, we were able to figure it out, but I had to make the decision to stop pursuing um, really thorough rehabilitative care because it cost too much and it was going to impact her future. And, you know, this is not something anyone should do. And this is no. when I was 26 or 27 years old. I'm 34 now. Sure. And I have really lived. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'd say. Yeah. So. Those are some tough decisions. I mean, you yeah. Yeah, that would be really tough, especially in your mid-20s. So when did you fall in the COO role with Victor Engineering then? Oh, gosh. So that was uh, my days of working at Victor Engineering are some of my best and most fond. Um, so it started, my, my like entrepreneur and corporate training started when I was younger. So my dad um, had worked for the government during the Cold War. Um, he's 85-ish gosh, almost 90 at this point. Um, so when he was working for the government during the Cold War, it was the height of perestroika, and he was designing um, the ogives on the SR-71 Blackbird, which is essentially the radar crosshair section. So um, he had all of this thermal nuclear technology that he was building and uh, practicing on a daily basis. Um, and then in the 70s, he realized that it's not so much fun to be a government agent. Uh, sure. You're really at their whim. You're a puppet. Mm -hmm. yeah. So he moved to the private sector and then used his knowledge to design an amazing train break. So you might not think that <laughs> yeah. an atomic bomb uh, has a lot in common with train breaks, but it actually does. Uh, so a train has an enormous amount of weight, and as you're trying to slow it down, that weight then turns into energy and the braking system uh, previously to my dad's invention was generating molten sparks that would be ejected out of the top of the locomotive and the, the locomotive is in the middle of nowhere when uh, this is going on sure. so they would have road fires that would occur so my dad comes in he fixes it uh, with a weedless weld design and uh, he just kind of starts building that business so when I was younger. <laughs> I, I'm, this is very interesting. I like this. Oh, I'm glad. It's, yeah. he, he's had such an amazing life, and I'm just so grateful that I can kind of share it with people. Um, I'm just thinking about our dad right now. Like, hmm, not quite there. Right? <laughs> he was great in his own right. Yeah. Is great. Yeah. yeah. Right. Good high school basketball player, and <laughs> thing kind of ends there. Just no. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, so he, so that, that's what kicked off the manufacturing side of his business. Mm -hmm. He started with this break for the locomotives and then what were some of the other things he developed? Was it all train related from then on or? Well, um, train and mining uh, okay. equipment. Those are generally the two largest loads that you're, um, like having to deal with. So conventional, conventional systems don't work. Gotcha. Uh, one of the projects that he and I worked on together is a high voltage resistance module. And what that does is essentially is um, the train is running on a higher electrical current. 
but then the equipment in the cab, that's on the, the traditional 220 volts. So you actually need to size the electrical current down so it doesn't fry the equipment. Mm-hmm. Um, and my dad created that design, and that's really what Victor Engineering was developing, or what Victor Engineering was working on. And uh, I started, you know, in the shop, figuring it out, you know, with him. And it was just a phenomenal experience. We produced over 10,000 of those uh, products and had a 0% failure rate. Wow. Um, That's impressive. Yeah. So do you have an engineering background yourself then? Well, I am not. I'm a business okay. woman. Okay. But uh, growing up with a nuclear engineer, I kind of you, feel you like You learn a lot. Yeah. yeah. Did you kind of have, were you more geared, like going through school to like math and science then just because of your upbringing? Yes, uh, very much so. Um, Dad always said though, Victoria, you're going to be the businesswoman. This is what's going to happen, and yeah. that's what did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm impressed. I'm still thinking about you as a ten year old presenting to a financial advisor. Yeah. I mean, oh. <laughs> at ten years old, I'm thinking about you know Mountain Dew and Cheetos. Like, yeah. I'm not thinking about a presentation. I wouldn't even. I would be so nervous as a ten year old. Mm-hmm. Or you you're not. Or you're not even old enough to understand to be nervous. Yeah, like, I you, mean, you don't even know that what environment you're in. You know. Well, he was. Um, always pushing me though to not be afraid to talk to men um a lot of the training i had with him was he would just kind of throw me to the wolves and obviously i had an 800 pound gorilla in the room with me so i wasn't all alone but he wanted me to get that experience so um, i was 16 years old and i was going and giving uh, mine bosses presentations with him so um Earlier in my life, my mom and I would join him for about six months out of the year. He would be traveling around. Um, we ended up in Nebraska because of the the diesel shop. Um, that's how he met my mom out in North Platte. Okay. Oh, okay. And then yeah. we settled where in Lincoln, which has the Love Library, um, which is how he would access engineering information before the internet. So. Mm. <laughs> yeah. The interwebs changed it all. Yeah. <laughs> I can't imagine going back to that. I know. You know going to the libraries to find mm-hmm. everything. Yeah. I mean, how do people even find information without Google? You yeah. Know? Google it. <laughs> Dewey Decimal System, yeah, huh? Yeah. Oh, I mean, I know I used it at one point, but now I don't think I could. Are you the only sibling then? I'm the only child. Oh, yes. Only child. Okay. Yeah. I was going to say, there's a lot of sound like pressure on you and no one else you know in, in the mm-hmm. background so then you went to UNO yeah well so I have a, an interesting uh, college experience so uh, out of high school I did two years out at Kearney okay mm-hmm. and I got to take my horse with me Buster that report ended up getting me a horse so nice. I yeah nice. Very so nice. yeah I'm like why Heck not yeah. I'll write it whatever report you want Andy, Dad. stop listening we're not yeah. getting a horse yeah. <laughs> unless you unless she's gonna write a extensive report yes. for you right. she might hire me yeah. to do that yeah. and it'll be SOL yeah right yeah I might get two <laughs> <laughs> So you end up at Kearney. Yeah. So I went out to Kearney. It was a phenomenal experience. I got to take my horse with me. Um, I still remember this day. I It was move-in day. And I not only did I have like my knapsack and all my dorm room stuff, but I had my horse trailer and my horse in back with me. And, um, you know, here I am, 18 years old, pulling my horse down the road. And it was so cool. I mean, I was doing it myself. And... Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, it's just so empowering. And you have a thousand pound animal. And yes, they are prey animals, but they are, they're also quite deadly, you know? Sure, um, sure. Oh, yeah. You get kicked by one, you're 
you could be done. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's right. Well, and so it was just, um, you know, another experience where I was being, you know, encouraged to communicate with a beast that if I didn't communicate effectively could completely hurt me. So I learned a lot about natural horsemanship. Um, You know, horses absolutely hate being padded. Well, why is that? Because they're pressure-driven animals. Hmm. So instead of, you know, padding them, you just give them a nice gentle rub. Okay. Uh, So little things like that, um, that we as, you know, innate predators would never imagine there would be a difference between a pat and a pet. Right. Well, yeah. Little stuff like that um, can really help you stay safe with horses. Uh, They are dangerous, yes. And I have fallen off, but I've also gotten back on many times. Right. I think that's part of being a horse rider. You're going to get thrown off. It's a matter of time. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like riding Mm -hmm. a motorcycle. I mean, you ride long enough, you're going to fall at some point. So then you go from Kearney into UNO. Or is well, there more to the Carney story? So I stopped. Um, I The business exploded, and okay. uh, my dad really wanted to put the capstone on my education from him, my entrepreneurial education. So he said, kid, come back. I'm like, whatever you say, daddy, I'm there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So we just began, uh, you know, building out Victor Engineering, and it was so cool. Uh, we kind of had our hands in a little bit of everything. Um, there was one product called Habak, <laughs> and it was uh, a bed bug uh, like system. So bed bugs actually are incredibly hard to kill. Yes, uh, I've heard. Yes, and because they have this sweet spot, and I can't remember the exact temperature, but you have to make sure the room is heated up to, I think, like 135 degrees, but it can't go over 150 because if it goes under over 150, then they will go into hibernation. So, you know, my dad's thermal skills come yeah, into play sure. again. Yeah. So Interesting. That, yeah. Is that product still being used today? No, it's no. not. Okay. But, um, you know, he, you know, it's just so much fun to work with him. Uh, every day it was a new idea and just always being creative and finding solutions and pulling all these random bits of information together uh, to come up with an awesome experience right. and end product. So you didn't have any ambition to take over Victor Engineering? Well, I, I did, but after my dad's stroke in 2012, um, it was just death by a thousand paper cuts every day. Mm-hmm. I mean, my dad is the nuclear engineer. I am, as he says, the businesswoman. Yeah. And it became painfully obvious that staying in that company would have killed me Yeah. just by the sorrow, by having a broken heart. So I, um, I realized that finance was actually my first love and this was, as a de- was a detour. Mm. And on some level, it's complicated because I never would have had the experience to build my own business and really explore what I am capable of if my dad didn't have that stroke. Interesting. Um, yeah. Without going through that, you're able to, you know, wouldn't have been able to do what you had to do ultimately. Yeah. Yeah. So then you moved on from there to Mutual of Omaha. Oh, yes. So <laughs> I, uh, after my dad had a stroke, I completed college at UNO. And that was a phenomenal experience. Oh, my gosh. And, and I really think there's a major... Uh, benefit to being an older college student. Um, At that point, I had figured out how I learn. Um, 
I'm a big person that loves to use sticky notes. Oh yeah, <laughs> I love sticky notes too, yeah. actually. Yeah. yeah, well, so I actually have a wall of sticky notes and um, right now it's my business plan and my marketing um, ideas, but if you have everything laid out at once, you can really pull, you can really like cultivate that photographic memory. Mm-hmm. And all of us have amazing brain capabilities, but mm-hmm. we're so far removed from that. Um, you know, schools aren't designed to teach you how to learn. They're designed to give you information and for you to memorize it and you know spit it back out. Right. And uh, that's something. Hopefully, no teachers are listening. <laughs> yeah. Right now. Sorry to all those no, teachers out there. Yeah. Well, and it's it's not the teacher; it's the system itself. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um, you know everything from you know public school. You know they use a, a bell, and this is designed to create factory workers. You know, this is very documented. I'm not telling anybody anything new. So when it comes to being a critical thinker, you have to find out how you are going to cultivate that in yourself. So I had had done so, and by the time I had went back to college, it was so much more of a, an enriching experience. Um, I got engaged. I I made like a 10-foot <laughs> timeline for my World Civ class, and it had like 232 um, like points of information on it that were color-coded based off of like the region, the war, and uh, a few other things. Wow. But I would have never known how to do this if I was 19 years old. Oh, right. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I ended up graduating with like, gosh, at this point I forgot, but it's like 16 or 17 A pluses. Um, and it, it just afforded me this amazing opportunity to determine who I was. And You're just ultra competitive, it sounds like. And you'll figure out a way to get things done no matter what. Yes. Like like well, your father, really resilient. Mm-hmm. And I don't even I don't even think it's competition because I'm I'm competing against myself. Well, yeah. And um, I I think it's really my, my driving force has been um, I want to see what I'm truly capable of. Like mm. I've been given a wonderful gift uh, called my brain. And just as all of us have been, and I want to see it in action. Um, you know, so many things that we're told to do are actually not good for us. And I see this all the time as a financial coach. Um, you know, consumptive capitalism is a major problem in our society, um, and it just wreaks devastation on a lot of my clients um, and a lot of people in general. Sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. On that note, we're going to take a quick break. Are you committing yourself to exercising in 2021? We can't help you keep your head out of the Cheetos bag, but we can help fix up your exercise equipment. Don't let your fitness equipment be the reason you don't hit your goals. Call Fitness Machine Technicians today. Fitness Machine Technicians repair and maintain all makes and models of fitness equipment. Some of our clients include hotels, apartments, gyms, corporate companies, assisted living, physical therapy, and let's not forget the homeowners. Fitness machine technicians keep your equipment fit to keep you fit. Give us a call at 402-871-4735. And we're back to the Brotherside Podcast. We have Victoria Kurloff here. And we're just discussing financial advising and financial advice. So you currently own Wealth Analytics. 
and divorce analytics. We'll get into that divorce a little bit here in a mm-hmm. little bit here, but I want to hear more about wealth analytics and kind of your perspective on financial advising. Okay, well, broad, broad statement. <laughs> it's, it is. Yeah. Where to just start? Just tell us everything. Yeah. Crypto coin, yeah. Dogecoin. Yeah. Just start at the beginning. Well, I'm gonna start with a disclosure. Um, this is not to be construed as financial advice. Uh, this is strictly general information for educational purposes. <laughs> okay. So. There we go. All right. Fair enough. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, wealth analytics um, is an amazing company that really focuses on the holistic nature that financial uh, strategies are. So it's really important when you are actually looking at someone's life um, to unturn every single rock. Um, Like in my dad's situation, we had an investment advisor and (laughs) like we didn't realize that his sole goal was to keep as much money under his uh, control as possible. So it left my parents with a huge risk. Right. And that risk was actually actualized. So wealth analytics, the whole goal is to give a holistic analysis and then to come up with a game plan that addresses um, all facets of life. Um, And then it was through that experience um, that I encountered my own uh, separation. I was with Matt for like 10 years. It was getting to be a pretty abusive relationship at the end. and I realized that my reports could actually save me. <laughs> it all comes full circle. Yes. That's right. Yeah. And um, like I realized that our separation really hinged on the finances. I had bought us a home. There were some assets that were commingled. Um, he was getting into my investment accounts. Mm, and damn <laughs> yeah. him. <laughs> well, interesting. Things that um, actually are unfortunately pretty common. Yeah. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. So uh, it was really important that I had a graceful exit. Um, I was not interested in having another battle with him. At that point, I was done, and I just needed to get out. So I went through, and I found all of our assets, determined the cost basis, which is a fancy way of saying the original price. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, I determined what each of us had brought to the table and I came up with a few different ways for us to divide it. Hmm. Um, I presented Matt with these options, and he said, oh, well, okay, let's do huh. this. Really? Yeah, and for the that first time in our relationship, cool. yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I was blown away. I mean, everything leading up to that was a knockdown, dragout fight, and um, all of a sudden, you know, the power of financial analysis was working in my favor, and it wasn't just a horse I was getting, it was actually my life back. Wow. And, I mean, um, I think resiliency is an incredibly intrinsic human trait, but so many of us do not have that opportunity uh, because we're surrounded by the wrong people. Sure. And you, it's kind of a double-edged sword because you have to be in situations that are almost hopeless uh, for you to find how strong you are. And um, now that's essentially what I have built divorce analytics on is uh, we replace your fear with facts. Hmm. That's uh, that's interesting because divorces can get real nasty. Uh, I think half of my friends have been divorced now. Uh, we're not we're not on a good streak there. Shout out to Craig and uh, Pat and yep. Rob and yeah. <laughs> not to call anybody out, but uh, no finances are important. And you know, my wife, for example, she has no clue like about any of our finances. Same. I could rob her blind. Yeah. And yeah. I could have a whole another account. She would never never know. 
Mm-hmm. So I don't. But <laughs> I just, full disclosure, full I don't. Disclosure, I do not have that account. But I've, I mean, I've said that to her. I'm like, you need, you probably should be more involved. And she agrees. You know, if something were to mm-hmm. happen to me, same with you. Yeah. Like yeah. all of a sudden, they gotta pick up. You know, yeah. and take over oh, without exactly. really knowing. You know, so we've talked. Yeah, we've talked about that. Well, side note, everybody should use LastPass. It's a software tool that, or it's a password tool that um, aggregates all of your passwords in one place. So if anything does happen to you, is it on your phone? It's on your phone. No, yeah, not doing it. Not no security reasons. Well. <laughs> Okay. So, so I do what I do is I have a Word document and I update it. That seems yeah. super just, secure. Just on my desktop, and then every so often I print it off and put it in our safe. Oh, okay. So it has yeah, pretty well, updated passwords. They don't. I mean, my passwords don't change that often. So you think like, your Word doc is more secure than on my desktop than up in the cloud? Absolutely. Or a, a software. So you're saying on the hard drive. Some, that's run by somebody else. It's an well, app. it's a 256-bit encryption that's military grade. Um, oh, I, I don't well, know. We didn't get there. Okay. Well, <laughs> well uh, the, the point is, you no, should I feel have like a Dumas. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know. Yeah. Um, but the point is, you need a, a system to communicate with your spouse in case you're not here. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes uh, that happens unexpectedly, and then, um, unfortunately, I've had, um, I've delivered. A few death claims from my my life insurance business, and it is heartbreaking to show up at a funeral and to to only have a check for one hundred and fifty thousand dollars when you know that they have a greater need. Right. Um, but thank goodness for that one hundred and fifty thousand um, dollars. And because I, I I sit with the widow and I you know help them figure out what to do with the business. I help them figure out okay how do we actually access their money. You know. Mm-hmm. We have continual bills, um, and before everything kicks off, like we need to have the right system in place so your spouse isn't having to deal with not only the emotional fallout, but the very real uh, financial fallout and the paperwork. Right. Yeah. Bills don't stop just because someone passed away. Yeah. I mean. So in your divorce analytics, when do you interject in the scenario? So the mm-hmm. couple's not doing well they've already established they're getting divorced or someone reaches out like, I think I'm getting divorced. So I am the first person that should be contacted. Um, As a financial neutral, um, well, there's multiple ways I can be retained, um, but really litigation is, which which is what everyone knows, is the most destructive. Um, And that's where you have two people pitted against each other and they're in the court system. Right, each has their own attorney. Mm -hmm. Attorneys make it worse. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, keep in mind, yeah. litigation is designed to punish criminals, to persecute and punish criminals. And um, as much fun as it is to think that your former spouse is a criminal, chances yeah. it are they're not. So it's important um, to meet with me because I help them figure out the other options. Mm-hmm. So I do a lot of mediation and collaborative practice. So mediation, you have um, two people that... They have an amicable situation. Uh, they just need a little guidance. And I come in as the financial neutral and I uh, create a divorce impact analysis report. So I lay out all of their financial facts. Um, it is a transparent process. 
So everything is disclosed. I go back um, at least 12 months of bank statements and we determine what their post or their pre-divorce budget is, how much money is being spent on the kids, how much money each person needs to survive. And then uh, we work together to figure out what their post-divorce budget looks like. Um, And the the goal is to create a win-win outcome. Yeah, so yeah, both sides feel like they're getting something, Mm -hmm. yeah. Does the saying, it's cheaper to keep her, ever come into play? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, t- I tell that to him all the time. Yeah. 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 Just stick yep. it through, Tim. Just stick through it. Yeah. yeah. Not, always, uh, not always that easy. Yeah. No, right. it's not. It's definitely not. Um, w- would you say most cases then when you get with these couples that everything works out in the end? Or are, are there certain couples where the husband's just like not coming around to this idea of like, a win-win situation so it's interesting um i feel like as a financial expert in this field um, that has both of their best interests at heart i'm able to really help each side see the options and the pitfalls of each process so um, generally i've been able to interject in a situation early enough and um, educate the other spouse and let them know, you know, hey, I'm not here to hide assets. I'm not here to just provide one party support. I'm here to make sure your kids don't end up with like a horrible home life afterwards. Yeah, right. And um, it's pretty, pretty surprising. Well, maybe it's not surprising, but I have taken high, high, high conflict divorces and after I produce one of my DIA reports, man, the anger goes away. Just like with Matt, it goes away because everything's laid out. There's right. no hiding anything. And that's really where I have seen a lot of couples have issues is the financial process is not transparent. And so that bleeds into the child custody issues. Then they become mm-hmm. pawns. They become financial pawns. And it's... Um, it's pretty powerful just to cut all of that out and to, you know, use the power of mathematics and analysis right. to solve the problem. How do you know that each couple or each spouse is telling you the truth? Like Justin was mentioning, what if there's a side account that's mm-hmm. got a couple hundred grand in it that's not being brought into the picture? How do you determine if the facts are there? So it's a, kind of a two-step. So a two lot. <laughs> One two step. I haven't heard that. <laughs> so um, I do go back and look at tax returns for at least three years. Um, most divorces, they've been in the works for eons, and mm-hmm. bringing professionals is just the last step. So um, you know, going back at least three years, you kind of get an idea as to what their finances are looking like now but what they looked like before. And if I need to, then I'll go back five, 10, seven years and look at whatever their financial history is and then kind of reverse engineer it. Okay. Um, but then also a lot of the process is dependent upon the clients being transparent um, and being honest. Right. And if they can't be open and honest, um, maybe they're not a good fit for mediation or collaborative. And that's when you have to go down the route of litigation, which I try to steer people clear of. Um, the whole goal is to preserve family resources, man. Right, right. Yeah. exactly. I mean, it, it's so hard when you see see people get these divorce settlements and then, you know, 30% is going to the attorney. 
Right. Yeah, yeah. that's what I was going to say. I'm sure it's cheaper for both of them if they don't go that route and mm-hmm. you know work together to figure it out. Because like you said, it's not like most divor- most divorces aren't spur of the moment. I mean, it's been in the works for a long mm-hmm. time. It just now they're finally saying the words out loud. Yes. I mean, I hate you. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, because that's a, a lot of the a lot of the guys that I work with are are divorced and yeah. We gotta pick better time. friends. It's a long time coming. Yeah, I didn't say they were friends. I said yeah, they're guys that work true. with. <laughs> you're, you're, you're forced to yeah. be in their Big presence. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it's it was a long time coming. So I mean, it just took a while to actually make it happen. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I would think at that point, yes, let's try to save as much money as we can here, you know, and just do this the best the best way we can. Yeah. Well, when did you start this business? I have been an advisor for about four years. Okay. Um, this is, I opened though the business, I went out on my own at the beginning of last year. And actually the it's very hard saying so but the pandemic um, gave me the opportunity to really build my business how i uh, needed to Um, i just locked myself in my house literally Um, not only did i read like 20 uh, like 57 books before i stopped counting but what (laughs) 57 (laughs) books that's a lot of books Well, but you know that some of our some are pleasure reading um, Mm -hmm. some are you know analytical and financial in nature but it created the time for me to just sit and think and then create and produce these financial tools and products. And um, I, I'm just so grateful that the internet exists. Um, you know, it's enabled me to really grow as a virtual business. Um, I, I never would have imagined that I would have uh, to be leading the, the edge of uh, certified divorce financial analysts, but um, I, I'm just kind of blown away at the reception that the marketplace has uh, given me. So you handle these um, mediations on Zoom then during the pandemic? Correct. Okay. Any issues going to a virtual platform for this process? You know, I think it's, I've actually gotten um, really positive feedback. People are absolutely ecstatic they don't have to be in the same room as their former partner yeah i was just thinking like that mm-hmm. exact thing. i can just like mute maybe my that's wife. better yeah, yeah. oh mute. yeah yeah because okay. they don't have to yeah. look at each other i mean mm-hmm. yeah you know in the, in the same room like you're saying well and then they you know let's say you do go to my office in exarban village well then you become traumatized every time you go into exarban village and uh because you're you know brought back to the time that you mm-hmm. came here yeah. for your divorce um, one of my favorite restaurants was ruined um, yeah. because mm-hmm. I presented that report to Matt in it. <laughs> and I'm like, oh gosh, like <laughs> never, never going, going back. Yeah, there. yeah. Remember that cute Mexican restaurant we love? Well, I, yeah. <laughs> well, I can't go back there. Man, they make the mean margarita. Um, no, that's interesting. So the virtual platform has also allowed you to expand uh, your region. I mean, now mm-hmm. it's anywhere in the world could be. Yeah. Right? Oh. You know, it's so funny because um, one of my first national clients came to me because they they thought any stood for New England. Mm. I've heard that before. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. And they were in Virginia and it was a phenomenal client, but it really opened my eyes. I had no idea. I got more that, reach here. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, How do people find you then? So... Uh, 
generally word of mouth, but a lot of it is social media. Okay. Um, a lot of it is just getting out and creating high visibility situations. Um, what I do is n there needs to be a little education that accompanies it. Sure. So uh, opportunities like this, which I'm quite grateful for. Yeah. Thank yes. you, gentlemen. Yeah, no. yeah. We appreciate yeah, it. Networking much. yourself. Mm -hmm. That's what it is. Who you know. Yeah. Absolutely. So then with your divorce analytics, you started wealth analytics and these obviously tie together because it's mm -hmm. another financial component. Um, I guess, tell us a little bit more about that side of the business. So or separate business. It's kind of interesting because I have a lot of clients come to me through the divorce channel um, that have financial concerns. And then afterwards, they're transferred over to wealth analytics uh, for the financial coaching. And uh, so many people have high incomes, but do not have good money management practices in place that it doesn't matter how much money that they make because they just spend just all of it. Mm-hmm. And it's just on like cars and stupid stuff, yeah. right? Stuff that really has no intrinsic value. Yeah. Um, Materialistic. Things. Yes. Well, and that's really where I, I focus a lot on mindful spending. And mindful spending is a money management program that's centered around emotional regulation. Um, I can't tell you how many times before I got into this, I would be sitting with a client that uh, we had an amazing plan in place but they weren't achieving their objectives. And yes, their bank account balance was going up, but they were still, you know, stuck in the mud. Right, mm -hmm. and rut. Yeah, um, you know, we're, we're making gains in the market, but when it came to actually having a savings account or, you know, not going out and to eat every night, they couldn't do it. Really? Yeah. How many people that you work with are in credit card debt, would you say, percentage-wise? Like major credit, credit card, card debt? debt? Well, what do you consider major? Well, <laughs> yeah, like, like more than something you could pay off in a month. That's what well, I would consider, it, like, or a couple months. Sure. Like maybe 20, 30 grand. Wouldn't that be? Oh, gosh. That'd be pretty major. Yeah, I would, card debt. I would think that's major, yes. Um, You know, I would say at least 50%. 50? Well, wow. and it doesn't matter. I have high, high, high six-figure income earners that, you know, they're so wrapped up in this consumptive culture that they, um, they have no resources, even though they're making big bucks. Yeah. I mean, I have one client, um, he makes over $900,000 a year as hmm. a uh, physician, but he only has three months of reserves and he's in his late fifties. And yeah, um, like, how is that possible? But, wow. but when you are focused on using money to make you feel good, mm -hmm. it's a recipe for disaster because money is either a tool or a drug. Yeah. And it mm. can be wielded incredibly effectively as either. So if you are going and um, using money as to, to patch that hole in your heart, you're just gonna get a bigger and bigger hole and kind of the, the double-edged sword about making a lot of money is you make enough to get yourself in really bad situations. And, sure. uh, you know, a little credit card debt today, well, heck, you can get up Compound, to fifty, yeah. sixty thousand dollars $60,000 easy. Yeah. And it, it's easy. But think about all the points, though. <laughs> yeah, so many, so points. many points. 
Get that 2% back. Alex yeah. is here with the real question. Yeah. <laughs> no, I was talking to a buddy the other day, and I won't mention any names, but he said an, another mutual friend of his um, had $10,000 a month in car payments between payments and insurance wow. a month. I'm like, what? That is insane. I mean, he makes, this guy makes good jack for sure mm -hmm. but i mean to your point he's just spending all of it i mean mm -hmm. just going right back out the window in yeah. cars that is ten thousand a month that is dumb yeah. i i just i don't know i can't i it's hard for me i've always been kind of a frugal individual as people know mm -hmm. and uh it's just hard for me to wrap my mind around that kind of empty spending i don't know maybe it's i don't have the whole I don't know. Yeah. Or I fill it with other things, I guess. <laughs> so have you seen some good change in people then, you know, as you work through this mm -hmm. process? Oh, yeah. So mindful spending is all about maximizing your happiness and your satisfaction by using money. So um, let me give you an example. I recently bought a Surface Pro. It was $1,200. Um, and I'm like, I'm not going to pay that. Like, as a businesswoman, I pride myself on negotiating good deals good for deal. myself. That's yeah, right. Everyone's yeah. For a good deal. Well, and so I, at Best Buy, what I did, I literally Googled Surface Pro near me. Up pops an ad for Office Max. They were selling it as a loss leader item for a $500 discount. And so I was able to get the brand new Surface Pro with like, you know, fully loaded for 700 bucks. Wow. And. I, I will tell you that as much as I love that piece of equipment, I relish the deal that I got. Yeah. yeah oh, yeah. yeah. Do we dare talk about our wives no. and their shopping <laughs> yeah. when they get a deal on yeah. a shirt? Always looking for the deal. Yeah. yeah. But even that is important to know how you're being marketed to. Like, I can't tell you how many times I have gone to purchase something online and up pops a little notification. Uh, 23 people have this item in their cart um, and it's that scarcity marketing that they're tapping into. Mm -hmm. I better buy it now. And, yeah. and you know, if you're not aware of how money is being used against you, well, it's no wonder why you wind up in credit card debt. Mm -hmm. it's, it's really easy. And honestly, like um, the United States leads the world in credit card debt. Like uh, it's just not a thing in Europe. Huh. And when you look at how, you know, America is a nation of employees, um, that's just how the tax code is written. Um, there's a lot of tax advantages if you are a business owner and on a 1099. Yep. Um, but if you are on a W-2, you are penalized. And immediately 30% goes to taxes or whatever your tax rate is. And so um, our nation in itself is really designed to have us be consumers. We are no longer a nation of producers anymore. When the steel mills were cut out of Pennsylvania and shipped over to China, we lost a lot of our economic superiority. Mm -hmm. And we're kind of in this weird situation um, where we're all, you know, the music has stopped playing, but we're continuing to play the game. Yep. That's, that's interesting to say because you're seeing it in the market now just with prices and, you know, lumber, steel. Oh, I mean, yeah. we, don't, we don't have the facilities to produce it mm -hmm. it's all overseas yeah and you know even cars there's a chip that's going in cars that's being produced in china well mm -hmm. i'm like why can't somebody here figure this out we need another victor that's what we need yeah <laughs> to figure out this chip so we can get cars in production again um mm -hmm. 
but yeah, we, we've lost, lost our way, I guess, in the United States as far as the producer goes. It's like remarkably terrifying. Um, it's funny you mentioned lumber. I read an article that stated like um, every new home, their price is actually inflated uh, thirty-eight thousand or $36,000 yeah. because of the labor shor- or the lumber shortage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, They're just building in, front loading it because they know it costs a lumber. By the time they actually finish that mm-hmm. part of it, it's gone up so much that they have to build it in. Yeah. I mean, it's going up thou- for a new home. It's going up thousands of dollars a week. I mean, it's mm-hmm. crazy how fast lumber prices are going up. And it, I don't I don't know where the ceiling is. Nobody does. And builders, I was just talking to a realtor, a friend of mine. He's like, builders are really worried that people are just going to stop building because they just can't afford mm-hmm. to build. At, not with the current lumber prices. Oh, no. So, I mean, and your contracts have to be written in a different way now because, mm-hmm. they, you know, the contractors building the houses can't lose their ass building the house because lumber prices are getting jacked up. So, That's but right. But then it goes on the homeowner. But they've only been approved for four hundred thousand, and now their house is four hundred forty thousand. It just creates an issue for everybody. Yeah, it's a tough spot to be in. Do you get some of your financial discipline from Dave Ramsey? No. Do you know who he is? Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh yeah. All right. I was gonna say no. yes. Yes. <laughs> well, you know, Dave has um, a good message. But he takes a one-size-fits-all approach. And actually, um, I think he has one of the highest failure rates um, in the financial services sector when it comes to really? the plans he produces. Well, yeah, the products he does, yeah. We were in Golf League Monday night, and everybody around the table except myself and one other guy were all into Dave Ramsey. And I was like, mm-hmm. wow, I, like, I knew he was popular. I didn't realize everybody was following you know, his message and... I just, same with you, I'm like, I think there's some good practices, but it all comes down to your own discipline with money. Yeah. That's really all he's talking about. Um, but I didn't know if in the financial world, if that was anything you would apply to what you do. You know, I think he has a really good idea with the envelope system, just having a set amount of money you're going to spend, especially when it comes to discretionary expenses like eating out. Like, I think people forget those expenses snowball. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 And so oftentimes you'll go out to eat one night um, and then you're too tired to go out or to cook the next. And you're like, oh, we'll just order a pizza. Well, the previous night you went out to eat, let's say it was 100 bucks, and then you order a $50 pizza. Already, you know, two days worth of eating is $150. Right. And so that's a lot of money. It is. Mm-hmm. Well, and it comes down to are you getting the most amount of joy out of your money? Probably not. Like probably you're just super tired and you just needed something on the table. And right. like, that's another issue in itself. But money is a tool and you slip back into that drug territory when you're not allowing it to work for you, when you are phoning it in, when you're not planning ahead and doing some meal prep, like meal prep is not the most fun. Like, yeah, not glamorous. No. no, no, not at all. And I can't tell you how many times I've done meal prep and then I've thrown it out because I just don't want to eat the same thing yeah. three nights in a row. Right. So I, I get it. It has to be applicable to you and it needs to be usable in the end. But the concept is, is sound, you know, plan ahead. Yep. Human beings are horrible at it, though. Exactly. <laughs> But we got one minute here left, Victoria. 
what's the message you want to get to our thousands and maybe millions of listeners? <laughs> Believe in yourself. Okay. You are more capable than you would ever know. Mm-hmm. That's powerful. Yeah, I like that. Where can we find you on your uh, social media? Um, my Instagram handle is at Victoria Kurloff. Um, that's spelled K-I-R-I-L-L-O-F-F. Um, my divorce analytics website is divorceanalytics.com. And at Wealth Analytics, it's mywealthanalytics.com. Awesome. All right. There. Well, we appreciate you coming on. Thank today, you Victoria. so much for coming in. Oh, Very informative. Thank you. Oh, this has so been cool. another episode of the Brother Side Podcast. We'll see you next time. See ya.